Hello and welcome to another podcast of Father and Joe. I am Joe Rocky here with Father Boniface Hicks. And Father, at the time of our last recording, we had been talking about preparations of the March for Life. Where I wanted to pick up in this cast was now that the march has concluded, what your thoughts were upon it and what we have observed while we were down there. So with that being said, Father, can you lead us down the right road for this cast? Yeah, Joe, it's a wonderful topic in the sense that uh, I find the march and everybody I talked to, I talk to finds the march to be encouraging and invigorating for what it is as a gathering of so many people who are almost entirely faith-based, almost entirely Catholic, and a, a certain uh, conviction in Catholicism that it's worth taking the time to stand against abortion. And as we talked about the last time a little bit, you know, that becomes uh, so divisive uh, in the, the so many different elements to it that I've also been, been impressed with the way that the authentic love for life comes through. So not just about protecting the baby in the womb, although that baby in the womb is the most vulnerable human creature, completely defenseless, and is worth being the entire focus. But we don't want to do that at the expense of the women or the expense of the mothers or promoting social evils or so many of the other objections. Many of the people driven by the women's woman's right to choose and the, the pro-choice positions are also driven by, by good motives. They have good intentions. They see a particular evil, such as some of those social evils, uh, the, the way that someone's life is so radically disrupted, uh, the suffering that women go through perhaps in carrying a child to term, or especially if there are complications. Sometimes a, a woman develops cancer and would want to have an abortion so that she can go through chemotherapy, afraid that she would die and leave the child. Anyway, there's so many different complications, or a woman that's been raped or something else, all these kinds of uh, cases that have to be considered. But I've seen the, the movement develop, even just in the 20 years that I've gone, and it was well-developed by, by that time, that there is such a sensitivity to the whole breadth of issues and that whole gathering of people is so positive, so energetic, really so loving, so generous. I mean, the people that come to the March for Life are the people that dedicate themselves and their resources to providing everything that a woman would need in order to have a baby, everything a woman would need in order to give her baby for adoption, everything a woman would need to work through her pregnancy. I mean, just the most generous people and it's so young. It's not just people who had a particular ideology 40 years ago and keep beating the same drum, but it really has captured the heart and mind of successive generations. So I'm starting to become one of the old guys. I'm only 42, but I can see already people, so many people. I mean, I was at the Verizon Center for Mass. Unfortunately, I missed, uh, I missed you there, you and Teresa, but... Um, I was there hearing confessions. I mean, 60 priests hearing confessions for an hour straight, and the average age of the people going to confession is about 16. I mean, just 
an amazing witness of such fervent faith and coming from people who know that they're sinners. Nobody is standing there with an arrogant attitude that I've got it all figured out and I don't have anything that I need to change in. No, they're coming to confession. They all know that they're sinners and I went to confession. So uh, very much with that kind of humility and repentance, but fervor to share the good news. And anyway, just a, a wonderful experience to be at the march. Yeah, unfortunately, we got there a little bit after um, the confessions had happened. Um, so we, we missed out upon that part in the Verizon Center. Um, but you're absolutely right. I mean, there's just so many youthful people there um, and young people. Um, and on a side note, I, I just, you know, this is anecdotal because I was just the one walking around. You see everyone walking around representing what college they're at or what high school they're at. And you see just such a variety out there. Um, but the, without a doubt, the, the most common college I saw represented with the Kellers was Notre Dame. And I always want to give a little love to Notre Dame when you can. So I um, just wanted to point that one out out there. Um, we did see a lot of Alabama, though, um, as another side story. But nonetheless, uh, one of the things that off of that, that you're absolutely right. There, there was people down there. You know, this is how you can do adoption. This is how you can do all of those other elements there. And I just wanted to, to just kind of talk this through as far as the practical, how, what a real ideal answer would be in terms of if we had just pure power of this is what it would be as far as we can put this in effect today. Is it just simply it's murder in the first degree because you're intentionally killing something that that's life and there's no wiggle room. You are walking up, planning to end a life. You're doing it. That's the definition of murder in the first degree. And that's it. Do we leave loopholes? Because it seems like once you get one loophole, it's all exploited. You know, magically somehow every circumstance of wanting an abortion fits through this one seemingly narrow um, situation at first. Um, you know, so, so, so what is the answer? And I guess that's where I wanted to ask as far as when you see people coming out going, we should do this or that, you know, what's the ideal first? And then we'll dive back into given the situation at hand, what's the best we can get. Well, and again, Joe, not knowing who's listening to our podcast, I'm, I'm sensitive about what people hear. So from a purely uh, abstract, rational point of view, I mean, morally speaking, the moral argument, so what moral theologians talk about and what the church teaching is, is exactly what you said, that it's, it's ending an innocent life. And that's always morally wrong. John Paul II stated it so firmly in the Gospel of Life, Evangelium Vitae, he stated it so firmly in the Gospel of Life that it could be said to be a dogmatic proclamation, ex cathedra. Uh, it is ending an innocent human life, and therefore it is always in every circumstance morally wrong, period. So that's the analysis of the act itself. And then we can use strong, you know, words with more 
energy to them, like murder in the first degree, right? That has a lot of energy to it. And then that makes a woman who has had an abortion feel like a murderer. And I'm not sure that we want to do that and hammer home what is already very shameful and very difficult because we want to bring conversion there. But that's that's what's happening. I mean, so it is ending uh, an innocent human life, which is always in every circumstance uh, wrong, gravely immoral, and there is no justification for it. It's what we call an absolute moral norm. It admits no uh, parvity of matter. It's always bad, the worst kind of bad. So that's the that's the heart of it. And then we look at a lot of these other things surrounding it. Well, what about if the woman is raped? Well, it doesn't make up for the rape, which is also, rape is also always wrong in every circumstance. There is never a justification for it. It is never right. There is no way that it can ever be right. So rape is absolutely wrong. There's no question about that. And we have to be very clear. But doing another absolutely wrong thing in response to that doesn't undo the first thing. And that's where the, the thinking gets a little distorted, that somehow I, I can wipe out the first thing or I can you know, take it, I can be in denial about the first thing more easily and thus heal from the first thing more easily if I do the second thing. But in fact, it just makes it worse. It's like throwing gasoline on a fire. So, And likewise with a lot of the other surrounding issues, uh, you know, whether it's choosing the mother's life over the child's life or anyway, a lot of different issues that we can analyze morally. But but to come back to the points we're saying again, yes, abortion is ending an innocent human life, and it's always wrong in every circumstance. Yeah, it, it's like using the math equation where if you would multiply two negative numbers together, you get a positive numbers. But if you add two negative numbers together, you get a bigger negative number. And, mm, nice. you know, that's just, I, I think the way the way that you've just articulated it so well that it's just you're doing one action adding upon an action. You're not multiplying it, you're adding upon it. And I think that that's so often the basis of the logic that the other side is projecting. You have a negative times a negative, it's a positive, but it's not. It's a negative plus a negative and a bigger problem that has way more tentacles throughout society than just you and your individual circumstances. And I think that that's mm-hmm. sometimes thing that people miss that you know you are an individual, yes, you have all your individual free will. But what you do inherently affects everything around you. And there's no way around that because we're an interconnected people. Um, that's the way people are. So there's just no way around that fact. And again, not trying to, to discourage conversion of those who have, but more to put down that this is how we can fix the problem moving forward. Um, as I tried to mention on the last one, I, I can't imagine that kind of of, of grief and pain that you'd wake up with after the fact. And by no means am I trying to, to add on to that, but to make it so that people down the road don't have the problem. And I guess the other part of the encouraging part of it, as you mentioned there, most of the people who were there were college, you know, high school or college kids. I mean that there's a big portion of people who were there in that group. 
And, you know, historically, I'd imagine statistically, that's the main age group that's affected the most by this. So to see to see them being the ones being a big part of the spear against it is is radically encouraging, you know, as they go back to their individual campuses and situations to to stand up and say no to no. You know, that's a uh, that's a big thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's one of the most encouraging signs because as I think the pro choice camp and the pro life camp will all agree, and I should say it, you know, pro life people or pro choice people that I've talked to would be the first to say nobody wants abortion. <laughs> I mean, nobody thinks that this is a good idea to, that that a woman should ever get abortion. I think we're both in agreement that if if there were no more abortions tomorrow, we'd all rejoice in that. So it's not like now there's a certain there may be a certain satanic element that actually wants abortion. So we'll set that aside for the moment, but Generally, all the people that we're interacting with or that we see on the news or that we, you know, on both sides, nobody wants abortion. And the, and the greatest victory would be, just like you said, all of those young people standing up for life, therefore not having abortions themselves, takes the option off the table. And I actually know a college student who was the president of the Pro-Life Society got pregnant and didn't want that, I mean, as a college student. But and, and the, the idea crossed her mind to have an abortion, but precisely the fact she had been doing so much for, for the pro-life movement, she couldn't possibly do it. It actually formed her, her moral conscience to have done all of that activism. And that's one of the, the positive signs that all of those young people will be much less likely, maybe 100% unlikely, themselves to have abortions. And that's great news. And that doesn't matter whether it's legal or not. If nobody has abortions, abortion stops existing, whether it's legal or not. And and that's the, that's the great victory that we strive for. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. And I guess my follow-up question to that is if both sides want something that, or to turn off something that is inherently wrong, and essentially would all recognize that it is inherently wrong. And they're still letting it exist in the corner. That never works out well. It's never worked out well in the history of the world. Why would it think that it would work out well now? Um, Well, the other side is not convinced that it's intrinsically wrong in every situation. And so they balance that against what they would say is a greater good that, well, all things being equal, we'd rather that, you know, Susie never have to have an abortion. But in this situation, if Susie doesn't have an abortion, then it's going to ruin her life. Then she's shackled to this child and her future goes away. And we would rather have Susie have her freedom and independence and not be shackled to a child. Like our former president said, I wouldn't punish my daughter with a child. Uh, they would rather have that. That, that a woman have an abortion than that she be punished with a child, right? So it's, but the best thing would be if she didn't have to be punished with a child, if she never had a child conceived to begin with. And that's why they also push very heavily on contraception, not understanding again. And this is where the problem is. If we don't understand the nature of intrinsic moral evils, 
that they're always wrong in every circumstance and that doing them never helps. Even if it seems like it helps in the short term, it doesn't help in the long term. It makes things worse. And that's where contraception, and I had a, a vigorous debate with a, a woman at Penn State when I was a priest there, and she just could not conceive of the Catholic Church's position on contraception. She said, you're so anti-abortion, but if you don't want to have abortions, why don't you prevent young people from getting pregnant by promoting contraception? But that's the whole point, that contraception is not actually, doesn't, it doesn't work 100%. It works like 90%. But if you have, if, if, the, if the possibility of contraception gives you the illusion of, of preventing pregnancy, instead of going, instead of having no sex, which is what the moral, the Catholic moral position is, no sex outside of marriage, because you have contraception, you have sex 10 times. And then you're fairly likely to have a child because contraception is only 90, maybe at the best 95% effective if it's used correctly, if the woman doesn't forget to take a day. If, and then on top of all of that, I mean, the birth control pill has a, a level four carcinogen and uh, the subsequent damage that's done. And anyway, we can go on and on about that. But again, it's the the reality that, you know, Having, uh, using a moral evil to try and promote a good will never work. There will always be unintended consequences. That's why it's part of why it's a moral evil. <laughs> so anyway, the, uh, hopefully that clarifies what, what you were saying. Yeah, I, I believe it does. So I guess off of that is, just, I, I, or I guess continue to dive into this, and I know this is something that, that we had talked about before, about the unintended consequences that, you know, really doesn't get discussed. I mean, it, it seems to be that we're going to hide hide those those problems, um, you know, just take about the emotional side of it of, oh, I thought that, that we were really going to be together forever. No, you're 15 years old. You make no good decisions when you're 15. Period. So it, it's not going to last. So you know that's life. Um, so you know I think that there's a lot of extra pain and all that that's induced in the world. And yeah, sure, some of it's probably natural growing pains. And there is a thing that you have to have pain to grow. That that's part of life. But there's a lot of it that's added through it by this evil out there that doesn't seem to be necessary or. Or, or or encouraged. So how to turn off your human body from wanting that and to instill discipline that that's not the right thing to do is probably a very challenging and very hard element to do. And who does that bear responsibility upon to to be able to instill that discipline? I mean, I guess ultimately it's upon each person individually, but as far as the development side... Who is – how do you teach discipline, and, and who's who's ultimately the one who should be doing that? Yeah, well, the, the parents have a moral responsibility to form their children in virtue. And to whatever degree the parents feel unable or ill-equipped or that they can only do 70 or 80 percent of that, they have the obligation to find other supports. That can be other relatives. That can be – CCD teachers and priests and uh, other missionary outfits that can be, uh, you know, whatever, human psychology approaches, 
but the but parents bear the responsibility for forming their children in virtue. Like you said, you can lead a child, you can lead a horse to water, you can't make him drink. I mean, the ultimate responsibility rests upon the individual himself or herself. But the formation of the will and the formation of the conscience is in the hands of the parents. And then supporting them are schools and churches and other professionals. Well, that's a pretty black and white answer. <laughs> so that's always good. It's a pretty black and white answer. Yeah. It's, uh, we don't need to reinvent that wheel. Isn't it funny how most truths in life end up being black and white? You know, math, most of the sciences is just this is how it is and this is how it's going to be. And, you know, you, you put, I'm not very good at chemistry, but you put hydrogen and oxygen together, you're going to get water. So, that's um you know it, it's just interesting that you see graying and mudding of the waters often which i guess go back to what you were saying here earlier in today's episode about it being a hiding for a moral evil to do a possible correction you make things seem muddy enough that you can't tell what's going on but you're going, you know, your boat's moving down the water, so it's good, but mm. the fact that you're stuck in a sand pit doesn't really matter. Um, so that might not have been a good analogy at all. <laughs> but I, but to get to the point of throwing out dust and, and muddying the waters to hide something that was wrong cannot make it right. Um, took me too long to say that point, but that's what I'm trying. And if I'm understanding it correctly, that's, mm-hmm. that's where we're at. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So with it being said, absolute, it's wrong. And that's why the church stands by, you don't have abortion. That's why the church stands behind, you don't want to have contraception because you don't want to be leading down the road that inevitably will lead to pregnancy, let alone um, all the things that we had discussed during the Humana Vitae portion about how it will destroy women in the world, how it will lower standards throughout, and just cause just societal problems. But we're at a situation now where that's been around for 50 years, and how do we try to turn it back? You know, I, I know that through history there were a lot of polls in the 80s that people said i wish it was how it was 40 years ago you know i wish that it was at that point they said a slower paced world a more virtuous world we're at a point where most people in this world don't even know what the right path was what direction that even was in and with all the muddied waters around us how do we guide that way and and know that we're pushing hard enough towards the right direction Yeah, I mean, I think uh, there there are a lot of different efforts. Uh, I was just thinking it was worth mentioning a, a group of young people who have risen up in the last 15 years called the Culture Project, last 10 years, I guess. Um, and they're just out of college, young. Uh, they make a missionary year or two or three. They fundraise their salary. Uh, the Culture Project provides benefits, housing. And they speak in high school, speak to young people. And 
one of the while the responsibility rests with the parents, parents may find themselves quite ill-equipped to speak into the culture in a way that's compelling for their children, especially if parents have been compromised. I mean, the parents of the high schoolers now or junior high schoolers now probably were participants in the sexual revolution and probably bought a lot of that uh, rhetoric that was in the air in those days. And they may not even believe that anymore, but may not know how to speak to it. Not to mention that if they didn't even make an effort to remain chaste before marriage, they probably feel the compromise of telling their children they ought to remain chaste before marriage. And so there are things like the Culture Project, this movement of young people who's raised up and is in a number of places in the country who are remaining chaste before marriage and who are closer to the age of the high school students or junior high school students or also college students that they speak to. They build relationships with these students. They model the virtues that they're speaking about and they're able to, and they're professional speakers, so they're really spending their time to generate the coherent logic and the consistent presentation that will be able to reach young people with the truth. So God raises up groups like that. That's a part of the equation. They're reaching probably tens of thousands, 100,000 plus people in their ministry, also online, in person, developing relationships. But that's still only a fraction of the young people in our country who reaches the other people. But I I think it's, it's organic enough that we keep doing what we can. Uh, there's, there are a number of NFP-only OBGYN doctors now all over the country. There are a number of doctors that do NAPRA technology as uh, a morally sound and actually more effective way of treating issues with infertility. And there's a, a deepening understanding, and that actually came as a response to Paul VI's call for medicine to understand a woman's body better to be able to provide moral alternatives to contraception. And Dr. Hildreth responded very directly to that call and a whole movement of much better uh, treatment, medicine for women developed as a result of it. So that's another piece of the, of the puzzle. I know a lot more women are going to using midwives and there are schools of midwives and they're not These aren't actually Catholic issues is another thing to say. Contraception and abortion have always been wrong in every culture that was simply open to using natural reason. So you don't need faith to believe all of these things. And there are a lot of people with no faith who still believe very strongly in the the pro-life movement and anti-contraception movement and thus uh, uh, an expression of medicine that's more friendly and to women and actually more effective. So anyway, the, the point is there's lots of different things that are developing. How do you measure it? Uh, I don't know. I'm sure you can measure it statistically, but I think we just have to measure it by our own personal faithfulness. Am I doing what God is asking me to do? Am I speaking out? Am I living out? Am I forming my own? Are you forming your own children? Am I forming my own spiritual children? Am I doing what God is calling me to do to participate in this this movement of of truth and freedom that God wants for us to to be flourishing human beings. 
and you've just opened so much up there, Father, and that's going to be the direction we we go into with this next cast um, about how medicine is growing and getting better. That's something that's remarkable that you know really should be encouraged throughout. And also, I would like to encourage everyone to continue listening. We thank you guys for clicking subscribe to the podcast here and listening to us each Tuesday. Please help us to continue the cast. Um, we do release the previews on Twitter the night before, so if you can continue to retweet those out, we are at Father and Joe. We hope to 